And I got passionate about this space because I think venture can really be used as a tool for good. And that was the driving notion for starting the fund was really just finding awesome people who are doing awesome things. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at POSI, the number two IVE. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you, focused on venture scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zach Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. About a year ago, the idea of an asymmetric podcast popped into my head. Over the past couple of weeks, a very special guest has helped this experiment happen. In many ways, it reminded me of letter correspondence and brings a deeper level of introspection and thought into our conversation. This episode was recorded via voice text over 10 days with Julia Lipton, GP at Awesome People Ventures. They're headquartered remotely. The show will be broken into three parts. First, barriers to entrepreneurship. Next, investment market fit. And last, investor-founder alignment. Hi, Julia. Welcome to day one of our experimental podcast, the first of its kind. Let's get this show started by just asking you a bit about your background and why you're passionate about venture and what you're working on. Thank you for having me. For those of you who I don't know, I'm Julia Lipton, and I'm the founder of Awesome People Ventures, a venture fund focused on world positive investing. We invest mostly along the lines of wellness, things that will make people happier and healthier, and future of work, things that will bring people freedom, flexibility, fulfillment in their day-to-day lives. And I got passionate about this space because I think venture can really be used as a tool for good. And that was the driving notion for starting the fund was really just finding awesome people who are doing awesome things. In addition to the fund, I've also started a talent platform that helps solopreneurs, freelancers, consultants, advisors get paid And we do that by matching them with top startups. And this started by me helping my companies find top experts and has grown into a larger network that supports the startup community to find flexible on-demand talent. Day two. It sounds like you found your real passion here in terms of helping others. I really like the idea of using the platform to help both your companies you invest in and just the broader ecosystem. Let's talk a bit more about what an awesome person looks like to you and perhaps what does an awesome founder look like to you and what does an awesome startup look like to you? What are some things that help you find these companies and also how do you look to measure this aspect? What is an awesome person? That is such an awesome question. To me, most of my founders at their core, I think, are really, really good humans. And that's vague. The way that I think about that is they honestly are creating this business to make the world a better place. And they genuinely care about bringing other people up through their business. And there's an intrinsic drive there that is beyond just make money, just build a big company. 
And I believe that that drive will lead them to do those things. But in fact, they're very committed to making the world a better place first and foremost. And in terms of finding awesome startups and how do I find them, I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by a lot of awesome people. And many of these people are folks that I've worked with or collaborated with or have some deep level of trust beyond met at a networking event. These are people who I think of myself as being on their team for life. And I think of myself as trying to support them. And in turn, we all help each other and they support me. And a lot of the deals come through the network. Many of the deals also come from cold outbound. So there's certain spaces that I'm very interested in. And those are spaces I'm paying attention to. And so one, let's take tools for empowering the next generation or creative class. When I see tools start to bubble up in those communities and I start to see my creative friends talk about those companies, I'll reach out to the founders. And the combination of having a specific thesis and knowing what I'm looking for and being surrounded by awesome people I know and trust who are ingrained in these ecosystems enables me to find these awesome people. The last question around how do I measure it is a tricky one because it's not something that I measure directly. There's certain things that I look for when I'm being pitched, like how much is this person talking about their customer? How close is this person to their customer? Because that gives me a sense of how much they really care. But the reality is, to be honest, I'm not there's no explicit KPI for an awesome person today. Day three. Julia, I love your approach to making the world a better place and the trust component of finding the right founders who you feel may add the, the most significant amount of value going forward as, as companies scale toward venture. I'd like to maybe ask you a question before we move into the first section of barriers to entrepreneurship. Outside of things like cold outbound, what are some barriers that founders face who do care about making a world difference? And how can they approach a venture capitalist to optimize for maximum success, both on the impact side and also on the venture scale side? I think the first thing that entrepreneurs need to understand, whether they're focused on world positive companies or a founder of any kind, need to understand before approaching a VC is the game of VC. And VC is a very specific type of financial product for a very specific type of company. And if you think about the way a venture fund works, limited partners invest in venture capital funds in the same way a venture capitalist would invest in a startup. And those limited partners are expecting to get their money back. And so these aren't just philanthropic donations of people who want to fund the next cool thing. These are people who look at venture capital as a class of investment, as an asset class. And the way that this particular asset class works is funds take a ton of very, very risky bets in hopes that at least one of their investments can return the fund. 
and a handful others will do well enough to get a multiple on that. And if you look at the math behind a venture capital fund, you'll realize that to return the fund, given that it's so unlikely that these companies do well, that they're really going for these massive outliers, these companies that can be billion plus dollar businesses. And so the first thing that founders need to understand is that when they're talking to venture capitalists, the venture capitalist is trying to figure out, can this company and can this founder be one of those outliers? Does their business make sense? Does the founder have what it takes? Does their market make sense? And in the vast majority of cases, for the vast majority of businesses, venture capital isn't the answer. Venture capital is designed to be a source of funding that can fund a breakthrough idea, get it to product market fit, establish some reliable channels such that you can pour tons of money and dump fuel on the fire to help this thing scale and exit within a 10-year time horizon. And that isn't true of most businesses. And so the number one piece of advice that I'd give to founders when thinking about talking to VCs is just understand where the VC is coming from and understand that the narrative matters so much because the VC needs to understand in their head how is this company going to get from point A to point B. And at the end of the day, VCs are focused on returns. Even if they're world positive VCs, they ultimately need to return their funds because they have a fiduciary responsibility to their limited partners. Day four. Thanks for sharing insights about the game of VC and how to help awesome people build awesome startups. Most of the audience for this show are founders who are currently focused on some form of impact, positive impact, and world positive approaches, and they want to scale. However, there are some listeners who are new to the game of VC and are just new to the game of founding a company in general. And I'd like to help give them some tools to give them access to opportunities and understanding our space more. What are some of the barriers to entrepreneurship that you see? And how can both angels and VCs help support new founders entering the space? I think some of the big barriers to getting started to entering the world of startups and VC is simply knowing where to start and knowing what does that even mean when we say the world of startups in VC, what are we even referring to? And I think one of the best places to start is simply by talking to other people who have done it before. And if you don't have those people directly in your network, you can reach them by reading lots of content online and reaching out to folks where you think you can somehow add value to them and therefore they can help you. You can join any number of the startup Slack communities out there, whether it's Jason Calacanis's This Week in Startup Slack or any of the Slacks that are run by product communities themselves like MakerPad Slack or MemberStack Slack and start to get exposure to the world of startups because it's really hard to be something that you've never seen. And for many of these folks, that means getting closer to people who are already starting startups and learning 
by talking to the folks that are already experts and reading their content. Day five. I just got a chance to check out your state of wellness and work report for 2019. I really liked how you put together the content explaining the thesis behind the fund and how you're differentiating. You mentioned remote work, rise of the solopreneur, and no-code tools as the three areas you're focusing on currently. Can you give us an indication about companies you're seeing and industry trends that are current to these three areas? Also, maybe you could share a couple of your companies in the portfolio and what they're doing to support these areas. The future of work, one of my favorite topics. You touched upon the three key themes in that section of the report, remote work, the rise of the freelancer, creator, solopreneur, passion economy, and the rise of no-code tools. To talk about trends that we're seeing in all all three of them, to start off with remote work, obviously this one is a little bit of a, a curveball because these are trends that we talked about in abstract and things many of us believed in uh, pre-pandemic. But now we're living in a world where remote work is the default. It might be helpful to start by saying why in a world positive fund do I care about remote work? And I care about remote work because if you take people in the same job, Remote workers tend to be happier than those that are not remote. So I believe it's 71% of remote workers are happy compared to 55% of non-remote workers. And this makes sense because those people, if they're opting into this system, have more freedom and flexibility in their lifestyles. And so trends that we're seeing towards remote work, obviously there's all sorts of cool video software video conferencing software. There's all sorts of cool collaboration tools that make it easier for you to work online. That could include things like Figma. It could include any sort of shared workflow tool product. Uh, I I think all that stuff's really interesting and is inevitable. The stuff that I'm really focused on right now is how do you create that trust and community online? Because I think that's a gap. Uh, We recently invested in uh, two companies in the space, neither of which are public yet. But to me, that feels like a major gap in the remote work world. The other stuff I have pretty high confidence will get taken care of where we'll have tools that are collaborative, sync, async, all all that good stuff. Um, the The next trend is around freelancers and the solopreneur. And if you look at Gen Z today, over half of them are already working for themselves in some capacity. And so this trend is very real. And we're starting to see more people want to leave their full-time job, again, for that freedom and flexibility and their desire to pursue their purpose, whether that their purpose is something work-related, so they want to go work on a cause that they care about, or their purpose is being able to spend more time with their family so they can have a more flexible lifestyle. Uh, There's all sorts of trends pulling in this direction. In terms of investments from the portfolio, we've invested in a company called Wingspan, which helps freelancers with back-end management. If you think about it, when you become a solopreneur, all of a sudden, 
you have to do everything. You are a business of one. You have to do everything from find your own clients to manage clients to delivering the work to billing to taxes, all that good stuff. So Wingspan helps with some of the back office. We have a couple other portfolios in this company in this category, which haven't been announced yet, which I'm really excited about. But there's an entire level of infrastructure that needs to be built to enable whether they're knowledge workers or folks in the passion economy to run successfully as a business of one. And in the no-code space, I believe that everything is going to move up the stack. So anything that was super technical and required engineers to do in the past will some visual application layer will be built on top of it to allow people like you and me to develop with no or low code tools. So companies in the portfolio, in that case, we have a company called DraftBit, which allows you to build really high quality React Native mobile apps with no code. And so you can tie in, you can make something really visually stunning like an Airbnb without ever programming and tie-in APIs and resources on the back end to have a live dynamic app. Okay, this one was quite long, so we may want to cut different pieces of it, but hopefully there's some gems in there. Day six. In 2013, Stanford University put out an article based on finance first versus impact first investing. And I've seen many companies that have much more of an impact first gearing, more philanthropic venture, uh, things that don't necessarily scale well based on the commitment and clauses of those particular investments. You've mentioned a few times the world positive approach. I see this closely aligned with the finance first approach and an extension of social finance and blended finance before that, which, which I'll share in the show notes as well. World positive investing seems to align with both purpose and profit. Now, in my opinion, this finance first impact also has profit in mind as well. But in startup world, there's this need to grow stronger and faster than the competitors and to reach the public markets and or find the the strongest competitor, largest market that's willing to acquire. And profit gets pushed to the wayside. And I'm wondering if world positive aligns with this hyper growth, break shit responsibly mindset and why you've chosen to align with it as a fund. I think world positive investing can align with a lot of different sources of capital. So to me, world positive investing just means aligning your investment strategy around things that you think will do good in the world and then investing in the subset of companies where you believe that that's true. And for different funds, that looks different. So some funds believe in the world positive approach and are just doing climate deals. Some funds and partners also are trying to invest in things that have, you know, purpose and meaning, but make people healthier and are primarily doing healthcare deals. And those type of deals, sure, they can be venture backable companies, but there are other financial 
products and vehicles that people are using to do this work. There's impact funds, there's nonprofits that invest in companies, there's grants, there's so many different types of capital to invest in world positive companies. And in terms of it potentially not aligning with profit and it being designed for this more move fast and break things approach. I think, again, that just goes back to the one type of company. And I happened to start a venture capital fund as my first type of fund because that was something that I knew best and it was the best place to start. I think there's a lot that we can do with venture. And I think especially because venture is designed to help companies get to this hyper growth scale. If what you really care about is helping the most amount of people, venture backed companies tend to help a ton of people by design because they have to grow so fast. And so I think there's a subset of companies that are really trying to do good in this world where if we skew a disproportionate amount of our venture dollars to those sorts of companies where we in fact think that these are there's a big market, we can have a lot of impact. And if you think about the biggest problems in the world, they're all huge, huge markets, whether it's climate or hunger or healthcare, pretty much all the core human needs, which can be improved, apply to a lot, a lot of people given that they're core human needs. And so I think venture capital and funding high growth startups is a, is a great place to start if you care about deploying, deploying capital towards things that are going to make the world a better place. Day seven. Thanks for sharing your insights about world positive investing. I can't wait to support it. Also, I do know that Obvious Ventures in 2016 started discussing world positive, and it seems as though they're getting a lot of attention and backing. I look forward to supporting it. It reminds me in many ways of the sustainable investing trends we've seen over the years as well. Let's break out into the second section, which is investor market fit. How does it relate to the work you do now? And how does it help enhance your relationships with the founders that you support? I think investor market fit can be broken down on a couple different dimensions. One is what sort of capital markets are you playing in? So as an investor, are your skills best suited for venture capital, for private equity, for public markets, for you could look at potentially grant writing as a form of investing. So I think there's what type of markets are you playing in or capital markets are you playing in as an investor? And then what sort of industries do you invest in and what beliefs do you, what do you believe about the future of the world? In my case, I started with something that looks like a venture capital fund because I know startups and the word of world of venture capital better than those other markets. That's not to say that people can't have an enormous impact with different types of financial products. And then in terms of investor market, fit in terms of the trends that we believe in, there are tons of great world positive investors that just focus on climate or just focus on healthcare. And that's because those are things that they understand. And in general, I feel like people can get more leverage and better use of their skills and their time investing in markets and trends that they believe in where they can both be helpful to the ecosystem and the industry and helpful to the entrepreneurs that they work with every day. Day eight, 
There's a podcast from Fund 81 uh, by Elizabeth Krauss, another VC, in 2017, an interview with Nick Moran. Um, he's also a VC. It was motivational to me in terms of the way that he spoke about the merits of specialization. I'm going to c- include that in the show notes. Your specialization seems to be very unique in its uh, world positive gearing toward awesome founders and startups, and it's inspirational to me. How would you encourage new investors to find their own purpose and market? First off, that's very kind. So thank you very much. In terms of how other investors can find their own purpose and their own market, I think ultimately comes down to why is the person an investor in the first place? What are they passionate about? What are their superpowers? What put them in the game, I think, determines what game they're playing. And for some people, that's they love a particular tech stack. Maybe they love all things AI, machine learning. For others, that's that's being really passionate about an industry like healthcare. For some, it's just meeting awesome founders with a particular type of energy. And ultimately, whatever that reason is, is probably correlated with your superpower. And doubling down on that is a great place to start. Day nine, moving into the investor founder alignment section. I'm wondering, a lot of times I see decks and get interest to founders when they may not be strategically aligned. They may not have a similar focus and such. What are some things that founders can do to learn about investors before they reach out? And what are some ways that founders can connect with new investors authentically for long-term relationships? First off, I'd recommend researching anyone that you're interested in meeting with. Most investors have their interests online, whether that's their LinkedIn, their websites, their fund pages. And then if their portfolios are available, I'd make sure to take a close look at things that they've invested in in the past. So if you were to look at my portfolio, you would notice that, or my website, you'd notice it would say investing in the future of wellness and work. And you'd see that all my portfolio companies or the vast, vast majority of them fall into that bucket. A lot of prop tech and real estate companies reach out to me, but there's nothing in my portfolio that would signal that I'm interested in those categories. And so in that case, it could be prevented by entrepreneurs doing a little bit of research. Also, you can look at what investors are talking about and writing about online. There's usually no shortage of that either. So doing a little bit of homework can pay major dividends here. In terms of building authentic relationships, all investors want to know about cool, new, hot deals and trends. So if you can meaningfully add perspective or what they perceive is a potential opportunity, many investors will take those meetings. Or if you have some sort of expertise that you know this person is interested in, there is always an opportunity to chat through someone's latest thesis. And so there, there definitely is a way to do it. It just has to be very tailored to the person that you're reaching out to. And a little bit of online research can help you figure out what the right path in is. Day 10. Thank you so much, Julia, for supporting this 10-day experiment. My long-held dream of the world's first async podcast. That was quite a secret to keep. Founders, I have to say, 
Julia is truly one of the most helpful people that I've met, and I think she needs to be on your cap table. Often I start discussions with interviewees asking, what are the top three causes you care about most right now? What I'd like to do is ask you, what is the one most meaningful thing to you right now and that you'd like to see more of in the world? How can founders support this? What are the best ways that people can also get in touch going forward? First off, thank you for having me. This was such a fun experiment, and I love the creativity behind the Async podcast. I do think you're right that something like this will exist in one form or another. So it was fun to experiment with you. In terms of something I'd like to see more of in the world, it was funny because as you were asking that question, the first thing I thought of were investment areas and things like um, making sure that people are employed and the economic systems that drive um, our country and also globally to make sure that enough people can make enough money to survive. But then I thought, okay, well, that's that's related to an investment. That's not necessarily what's one thing I'd like to see more of in the world. And if I look at it on that lens, I think it's really just more compassion and love and trust, open and honest conversations. I'd love to see the way that we communicate and relate to each other change to start from a place of compassion and of listening. And I think if we all operated a little bit more from that place, both in life and in business, the world would be better. And in terms of how people can get in touch, uh, feel free to check out the Awesome People website. It's awesomepeople.ventures. That'll give you a sense of what I'm interested in right now. And then feel free, if you think there's a good match in chatting, uh, feel free to email me at julia at awesomepeople.ventures or on Twitter at, at Julia Lipton. Thank you again for having me. This is so fun. I, I can't wait to see what the world does with different audio formats. And I think it's great that you had the passion and vision to experiment with trying this. To be continued. <laughs>